Hello, my name is James Pikeaway, and welcome to Catching Up on Potaholics. In this episode, we're talking to Lauren Riley. Who's Lauren Riley? Journalist by training, PR, corporate reputation management expert by vocation, and musician by passion. This gentleman has over 30 years of experience working in corporate communication and specifically in the aviation field. Started at Air Canada, headed over to Star Alliance, ended up at IATA, and then for the last, well, what, 11 years, he's been here at Dubai Airports. Very interesting gentleman. He's kind of like Batman. He's got his day job as the corporate guru, making communication happen across the channels, inspiring, educating, informing, and by night, he's entertaining. He's a blues musician. He's a rock musician. And as of late, a country musician. Lauren Riley's got a lot to share. Great stories to tell. And we're going to dive right in as we kind of link up the corporate world with the music world and try. I want to tease out how this all came together. And if it all sort of hinges back to his days at Carleton University as he was learning about the wild and wonderful world of journalism. Let's dive into it. Here we go. This is Lauren Riley on Catching Up. When we talk about, you know, your your the, the sort of the package that is Lauren Riley, were you always doing music? I mean, when you were back in your college days working on journalism and, you know, was the plan in those days that, hey, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go work at the, the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star, you know, you're an Ontario boy. Was yeah. music always playing in the background at that point or how did it all kick in? Um, it's a good question. I always liked it. And in, in my hometown, Shaplow, uh, I was in a band, a couple bands, People, People and uh, Quick Ham and the Horses. But we used to play like in the curling rink and do rock covers. That was my only real, and I'd sing all the time, sing to the radio. When I got to Carlton, I mean, the focus was school. Yeah. Um, I sat in with a blues band there a little bit, but I, you know, I was pretty full on with school. And my goal as a journalist originally was to do play by play for Hockey Night in Canada. Wanted to do that, so but it just never, never came around. You know, sports commentary would have been great. Um, what stopped you from yeah, doing that? Kind of, and then there was this big, you know. Then I got married. I had kids, and you know, I do karaoke, right? You have to scratch the itch somehow. Um, I do that on and off, but I never really got back into music uh, until I moved to Dubai. Um, really? So that was 11 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, late, a late, uh, late bloomer, as it were. And is, and is it at that point when you kind of hooked up with Alex Blake Milton and started doing that stuff, or did that come a little bit later? That came a little bit later. I actually, um, uh, there was a talent show at Dubai Airports, which is where I work, and the uh, gentleman there, Jim, um, had he was a jazz player and we decided we'd go on stage and do a song and ended up uh doing uh, instead of sitting with him he did his own thing i sang purple rain and uh someone in the audience said hey man you want to start a band and we did a cover album the band was stereotypes and that's when i connected with an international band uh two swedish gentlemen american and myself uh-huh. um and uh the producer is a guy called roy Balwed who is my producer to this day. We're like, um, we're a team that's made it through all the bands. Okay. And he's with, uh, he's with me on the country project, but we started out as a jazz blues. Uh, we did a cover album 
uh, band was called Stereotypes. Um, and then I got the itch to do originals, so set up a blues band called Mileage 51 mm-hmm. and did first original album as Mileage 51, blues influenced. Uh, then I ran into Alex. Uh, I went to speak. Alex was hosting. Alex is a partner at a, at a PR firm here and was hosting a big event and he asked me to come and um, speak at this event. We interviewed and I, I, as every musician, I dropped a bunch of CDs, of course. Right? <laughs> um, and Alex was one of the few people I actually put it in a, that's when CDs, you could play them. Um, he he uh, played in his cards and he said, Hey, I'm putting together a band. You want to come and um, try out? And so I did. And that, that was the beginning of monks on the moon. And we've had two albums out the last one uh, last year. And then the country thing happened. Uh, yeah, like I said, about two and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. You know, I didn't see it coming. Uh, it's nice when, uh, you know, the, the kids leave the nest. You know, you miss them and everything. But it frees up some time um, to pursue some things you really maybe didn't have time for back in the day. Yeah. Monks on the Moon, you guys are still you guys are still going strong then. Yeah, we had an album out. Second album out, in the blue, out of the blue came out uh, Q4 last year, and it's out everywhere. Um, really nice a departure from what we did. You know, the, Alex is a very interesting and talented musician and, and a really uh, gifted composer. And he just pushes uh, the limits. You know, he's looking for the unique sound. He's looking mm. for the different. And, um, and and that's why that album was a, was a departure from the first one, but in a good way. And, uh, you know, we're, he's working on new tunes and we continue to peck away at that. The country thing, sadly, is, you know, eats up a lot of my time. So, but Alex has been very patient and understanding, but yeah, still working both ends of that. Yeah. I find it interesting that both of you guys are at the top of your fields when we start talking about working in communication and both of you have very intensive side projects going both, both, you know, both your own directions. And then as a team, how do you manage the time? I mean, you, you did say that time is a big issue. How do you manage all that? Well, it, you, you do find the time, you know, with your passion, you find the time. And uh, for me, I manage it largely on the weekends, but you never stop writing. Like, it's just like you never stop doing emails at work, right? I mean, it, that's so email, you know, do five emails and get an idea for a song. I'm into this a lot. Um, you know, I'll get an idea and I use voice notes a lot and I write all the time. And, um, you know, it's like an iceberg, though, the the, most of the songs sit well under the surface and you largely for good reason. But uh, if you do enough of it, you'll find some ice pokes out of the water. So yeah, I'm always writing and uh, recording and I work virtually um, with my country stuff. My producer, uh, Roy, who's uh, like, we're, we're a team. He's in bang. He's in Thailand. Okay. Um, I just did a song with uh, two Canadian musicians, one from Saskatoon, uh, sings back up on this on the track uh the gentleman dave barber her name's kirby green dave barber's from vancouver both in nashville uh playing and making a living there um another gentleman kyle everson is a pedal steel player he tours with martina mcbride he's just a crazy good player so all of this was pulled together bass players a gentleman called phil mann we did a gig with on the qe2 he's in the uk um so we basically have a band and i've got um Two, two folks here, great musicians, Ollie F. Grave, guitar, uh, Dan Talbot on keys. So the band is all over the world, and you can pull these. With today's tech, you just pull the sounds in, and you create music in Thailand. <laughs> and I record 
uh, I record here. Um, it's just amazing what, what you can do. Oh, and man. it's, um, it's game change, a lot of fun. I mean, I, I think the fact that you can do it all virtually, as you said, total game changer, just, you know, get the room, make sure you got the decent acoustics that you want and away you go. As long as you've got the people who can put it all together and do the tweaking and then master it and, and then load it, you're good to go. Yeah. Producers, absolutely essential. I'd be nowhere without my producer, Roy. Um, uh, just that he's a gifted guy, but you're absolutely right. Lauren, I want I want to jump right back to the very beginning, and you, you're graduating from Carleton University. You've been working at at the Charlotte, and you've been doing all sorts of great work at, on campus. How did you get into aviation? I mean, because your career really, I mean, as you look at it, Air Canada, IATA, uh, the, where's the list go on? Star Alliance then Dubai airports where you have been now yeah. for what, over 10 years. How, how did aviation become the thing from a guy who wanted to do play by play hockey commentary? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strange. I think what started it was, you know, back uh, when you finished school back in the day, the big thing for Northern Ontario people too is go see Europe. Well, it's not only Northern Ontario, you'd go travel right yeah. before you start your job, go travel. So after I graduated from Carleton, I used to work in the forestry industry as well. I was a fire, forest firefighter in the summers that paid for my school. So after um, I, I graduated from Carleton, I worked the summer firefighting, and then I went and saw Europe for two and a half months, you know, did the backpack yeah. thing, and I caught the bug. So when I got back, I said, you know, um, my uncle uh, worked at Air Canada. He said, hey, they're hiring station attendants and and I said, okay, you know, free flights, <laughs> sign me up. So I went and uh, my first job with Air Canada was a station attendant, uh, a baggage man. Um, and then I, uh, with a good friend of mine, Steve Pollock, about, you know, throwing bags is good, you know, physically good and the guys are great, but I need to stretch myself a bit. So a gentleman called Steve Pollock was a, a photographer and uh, something was coming out back then. This was around 86, 87. Um, desktop publishing, the first Mac came out that you could do desktop publishing, Ready, Set, Go 4, PageMaker, all these new software. So we actually introduced, um, we, we, as a station, then we produced a local um, newsletter called Rampage for Air Canada in Toronto. And we actually were the first people that we brought desktop publishing to Air Canada. So then I just wow. jumped to wow. communication jobs with Air Canada, a great place to work. And they went overseas with Star Alliance. So I was well stuck in aviation, you know, the free flights and, and uh, travel. And it's an exciting industry. You know, yeah. it's at the pointy end of a lot of stuff. Um, so I went to Star Alliance. That was the first global airline alliance in a really multicultural environment. And I kind of got hooked on the global nature of, of communication. I just love the fact that um, you could communicate to the world, you know, working through different countries. I love the multicultural nature of it. And it was an interesting, uh, is that what took me to IATA, which is, as you know, is uh, uh, the International Air Transport Association. So their job is to represent 280 international airlines. So we were dealing with things like, um, you know, carbon neutral and um, and getting rid of paper tickets. It was fascinating. So you went, you went literally from Northern Ontario to Toronto to Germany Back to Montreal. Uh, no, it went Germany, Switzerland. Oh, Switzerland. Uh, because their headquarters, yeah, I was based out of Geneva. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it was four and a half years there. It was 
just a breathtaking place, by the way. It's just beautiful. Um, and um, yeah, and then I uh, came to the point where I wanted to run my own shop, as it were, and head up a comms team. And the opportunity presented itself in Dubai. I was lucky enough to get the job. And 11 years later, here I am. You're still here. You're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still traveling. It's a, a great ride. I mean, if you look and talk about timing, you know, and luck. Moving to Dubai and getting into aviation 11 years ago. I mean, the curve has just been yeah, like yeah. Number one airport in the world. You know, it's it's um, makes your job a little bit easier. The, and it's in a town that loves aviation. Oh man, aviation, I, you, know? you know what I'm kind of missing because I live right by the airport, and you know, obviously we've got the whole COVID situation evolving. I, I get no A380s flying by. I can't, and I know that the, 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 the life of the A380 is clearly, I mean, Air France has, is scrapping its whole fleet. They're never, they're not putting them back in the air. Emirates, of course, has a huge A380 fleet. They're relying at the moment on the 777ERs to do all their work. I, and I, there's almost no air traffic flying by us these days as the airports are ramping up and as air travel's ramping up. But I really miss yeah. the A380. I miss seeing this, this giant aircraft that is half the volume uh, in noise of a 777. Kind of, you know, even on takeoff, I miss seeing that glide slope. I miss seeing it taking a, you know, I miss seeing it going into the air. It's, it's a funny thing to miss, <laughs> but I do. It is, it is. And, and you know, they'll, they'll be back in the air. You know, yeah. it's a, a matter of time and it's getting bilateral agreements in place. It's making sure the safety measures, which we, you know, yeah. um, we're at the top of our game there. We've, um, you know, we have a safe environment, but the public needs to want to get back in the air. And there are certain restrictions here that are not here globally, globally yeah. uh, which are making travel a little, a little challenging, but that will, you know, as things evolve, yeah. um, that will ease and we'll, we'll see a gradual return to um, the traffic we reuse, but it's going to take some time. What, what an interesting time, as you said, to be in, in the communications game and, you know, looking at sort of the multifaceted approach one has to take to tell this story and to tell the story about safety and to tell the story about the facility and to tell the story about those who are traveling. What, it, I mean, it, it's, it's talk about going from, Hey, this is, you know, th- four months ago, you've had your plans for the next year. This is what we're doing. This is, you know, you had all your key things, summer, March break, etc. all of that planned out. And then suddenly it was breaks on, now you got to do some communication yeah. in a different way. <laughs> like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't, and I don't think we're the only industry in that boat, but no. you're right. You do have to reorient uh, the business reorients and, and, and you have to find a way to send the right messages to the right people at the right time. And it needs to be very coordinated And Dubai as a massive and the UAE has a, a great um, advantage because it's such a coordinated and aligned effort, you know, from the health authorities to the transport officials um, it, it's been really well coordinated and the UAE did a great job. They jumped on it right yeah. away with COVID and, 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 and they've done a tremendous job here, which, which has made our job uh, a little easier, but it's challenging times, not only for aviation, for a lot of industries. And, um, you know, we'll see things improve, but it will take time. 
How, how do you find working from home? I mean, you're you're one of those guys who, you know, like so many folks, you you went from in the office every day at at crazy hours and and working hard to suddenly working at home and now suddenly easing back into the work world. How did how did you find that whole transition? uncomfortable i mean to start with i'm an old school guy i like putting on a suit and tie going into work you know doing my thing there walking around the airport meeting with people i would it's just me i've done it for a long time so working from home i thought oh my lord how are we going to do this um but you know week one was uncomfortable and you know you find yourself you know the fridge should have a padlock on it. I think there's a business idea for some and throw away the key. But I mean, there are different things uh, to manage, but you, it's amazing how much focus you can get. Yeah. I mean, we use MS Teams. Some people use oh, okay. Zoom. You can actually meet, uh, you know, you can communicate very well. Your productivity is does not get hurt. In some ways it's enhanced because you do have quiet time. Mm. Um, I think it's been kind of revolutionary uh, what's done in terms of a, you know, virtual meetings and uh, working from home. And I think you'll see at the end of this, a lot of organizations will take a, a slightly different look at, uh, at WFH policy. And, and I think it's really, um, it's, it's been a bit of a game changer in that regard. Yeah. Um, so now, you know, two months afterwards, I was quite acclimated to it. It's fine. You know, it's a different, different kind of fine, but it was fine. And now getting back into the office, you have to kind of revert to the, the new uh, thing. And I guess the, um, you know, all the measures are in place, the distancing, the masks, and um, it's, it's a different environment, but it's nice to get back. It's nice yeah. to get back in the office. But I, I do like the blend now. So uh, what about uh, from your standpoint? I mean, you're, yeah, you're a professor. Yeah, at it's, it, I think the, the big challenge that we face, and, you know, and I teach Emirati women, so then you've got a whole bunch of cultural things when you, you're conducting a, an online class where, in some cases, I might not even see my students. They're there. I hear them. We talk to each other, but they might not turn on their video cameras. So, you know, that, that changes things a little bit. I, I think, you know, for us, the, the big challenge has been that 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 human interaction that you get and even as a professor i'd walk down the hallway and i might interact with three or four colleagues about something and we all go about doing our thing solo we you know teach our classes do our grading etc but that interaction i i really came to realize how big a part of my day that was and the the routine that we had at school, you know, you get there, maybe you go to the gym, then you go teach a class, then you have office hours, then you have lunch, then you teach another class, then you go home. That routine is a pretty comfortable and and can be very productive. Whereas now doing it all from home, I don't get the interaction. And there isn't that, that those, those, those marker posts in the day that break it up. And, and that becomes, that's become a real challenge. And, and there's quite a disconnect from my colleagues, which is, you know, again, a real challenge to the whole process. Yeah, I think same likewise too, because it, it is the, those hallway conversations can lead to so much, so many yeah. things and, and, and it's different, you know, calling someone up and, and, and basically meeting with them. The ad hoc nature of those conversations can yield some, some moments, you know, some, yeah. some great ideas and things. So I, I totally relate. Also the separation from work and home. 
Yeah. You know, it was, it was nice to come home. Coming home was like something you did at the end of the day and, <laughs> and, and, and being at home the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the risk is monotony and, uh, and, and not having that change. So um, the one thing I, I did learn to appreciate about going into work was coming home is a little more uh, rewarding than constantly being at home. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it feels a bit more substance to it. I, I 100% agree with you. And I think I really like that separation. And even if it would be, you know, if we stay with with some form of hybrid where we do have some work and we do have some home space, I really, I you know, I'd, I'd like to find that happy medium where, you know, you're at home and you're, you're turning off and home becomes, hey, when I come home, I take the dog for a walk. I think about my menu for the night and were you know it was it was really a different lifestyle there was the work bit walking to my car was my disconnection my my disengagement from my day job and then boom i'm into sort of a relaxation period a, a you know a mind shift and that's been a real hard one because you know you see work right and so fortunately i've got another room one of the bedrooms that my kids used to use they're not here so i've converted that into my my sort of you know studio slash teaching area and i can close the door so that's the workroom and i don't have to see it but it's still as you said that monotony of it's it's almost like groundhog day because nothing really changes and if you don't pull yourself out from it and kind of go outside every once in a while, and I mean, I have an option to sort of sit, stand in a backyard so I can still be social distanced. I'm not breaking any rules. I'm not away from, I'm, you know, I'm not just wandering the streets, but you kind of realize, wow, it's, it's, it's warm out. Wow. That's sunny out. Wow. It, it's otherwise you just, I find I just get locked into this indoor constant repetition of doing the same things day in, day out. Yeah. And it's difficult to sh- to you turn it off. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I've, I've noticed, you know, in, in comms, you're always on call. You, you, you're always checking email. It's just the, it's the game, right? And I don't yeah. think that's too different from, from many professions these days, but I've noticed it's actually one of the jokes, a uh, couple of colleagues from other organizations who I won't name say WFH is really more W A T T. It's not work from home. It's work all the time. And it's, it's, it's actually was, pretty much the case when you work from home you tend to it's difficult you're always turning you hear something you know alert comes in you get on your computer even if it's you know 10 11 at night it's just it's the way it is um but it's not necessarily a bad thing because it actually fills the time you know you don't want to be bored at home you don't want to be disengaged you want to be fully engaged and busy or or it will drag yeah no, that's a, that's a big challenge. I, I, I think one of, one of my big things is, is, is what this has all taught me and what I want you know, it's, it's how fun it can be to get back into the kitchen. I know at one point you were ba- you were doing the bread thing. You were making bread. Are you still making bread? I, you know, I, <laughs> I made the one loaf. I saw right? that. Yeah. Um, and it was a bit of a challenge because I struggled. I used to make bread all the time when I was in Europe. And for some reason, I made it. I tried it a few times here, and it just never worked out. Yeah. Um, anyways, I figured out. I sorted myself out. You just have to spend more time kneading, uh, and, uh, and and that turned out. It turned out well. But you know, it's more of a you know, make it a couple times a year kind of thing. Yeah. And you're a grill man. I've seen. I am. Uh, what do you have? You have a Weber and your coal. You have charcoal, right? Yeah, I got a, I got a Weber charcoal. Gas or charcoal? I, I got both actually. I've got a gas. I got a gas grill. Uh, a 32 year old barbecues galore grill from Australia. 
that imagine Sorry. imagine this thing 32 years old and I, I and I ended up with it because some friends who lived here had brought it with them via Bahrain years ago. They were moving back to Australia, and they said, "Hey, we're we're just going to leave this barbecue. Do you want it?" And I said, "No, I'd never even seen the barbecue." And they said, "Do you want it? No, it's gas." I said, "No, nah, I'm a coal guy." And they said, "Are you sure? I'm just going to leave it." So they wheeled it over, and I said, "Hey, this is a cool little barbecue, nice nice Aussie model." And, uh, and I, I fell in love with it. So I've been using it, but I also use coals. I use a, a Weber, just a Weber kettle barbecue and, and cook on coals. Some things on one, some things on the other, depends on the day and, uh, yeah. and away we go. So it's, and, and then you've got the whole coals. I mean, you, you, you're familiar with barbecue and you've got, are you using Kingsford style, that sawdust that's compressed or using hardwood coals? You know, oh, there's, there's so many decisions and to be made. Differently, right? oh, I mean, totally. you have access to all the. Like, is it the variety here you would get back home? Because I don't use coals. I actually, okay. I used to have um, gas, but now I have electric. And Ooh. you think that's sacrilege, electric, right? It's an Aweber uh, electric, and it actually does the job reasonably really? well. No no, uh, no fuss, no muss, but it's not, you know, it's a bit, a bit sacrilegious for a real barbecue. <laughs> it's got to be coals, right? I never tried electric. I, I'd be interested in trying that. It works. It works. Wow. It works with Starbucks. Yeah, no, it doesn't we're... flame up, right? Oh, That's wow. the thing because flame up is uh, is your enemy, right? Yeah, so yeah. this doesn't flame up. Oh yeah, no, no, no. We've been really lucky. You can get you can get all sorts of variety of coals here, and there's there's, you know, at one point I was even barbecuing a couple of weeks ago, and I'd put some coals in. I was cooking something that needed a long time, and kind of ran out of coals, but I had a little campfire going, so I just took a shovel and went and got some of those coals, and uh, was using right. using some of that hardwood in the Weber too. So it was it was kind of nice. It's uh, it's it's nice to go back and forth. It's getting warm now, and I guess that's the Canadian in me coming out because people say, oh, it's too warm to barbecue, and I said said what are you talking about you, i have a change of shirts <laughs> they said they said what do you mean you're barbecuing when it's 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 this weather and i said yeah i barbecue all year round and said you're joking i said no no that just means you need a couple more cool ones when you're out there that's all <laughs> you sure do step in and out I, I mean it's just like back home you barbecue in the winter and don't think yeah much about it either Hey, I, I, speaking of back home in the winter, you, you come from Northern Ontario yeah. and uh, I don't know, you, you ever watched the CTV show Cardinal? Have you, have you seen that? Uh, I saw the first series. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Sean Tamiskaming, right? Or, Tamiskaming uh, or North Bay. One of the two, I think it might be North, North Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Up in that area. Yeah. Northeastern Ontario. Yeah. yeah. Every time I watch that, that's on the final season. They only won, I think four seasons, final season. And I don't know how they film that thing. I think they just film it all year round because every, every season follows a different season in Canada. So the final season we're in now is back in winter and they're not using fake snow. They're filming in the middle of winter. And every time I see that show, I think of you because you're up from that part of the world. And I see the weather and I'm just going, oh, my. <laughs> it was a, they had a bad winter this year. It was cold. The ice didn't come off the lakes in, up north till mid-May. Oh, man. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who owns a, a lodge up there and they're getting hit as well, right? The, yeah. The outfitters up there, because the, a lot of the traffic comes from the U.S. up north, and it, obviously with the the restrictions in place, they've got no clientele. But anyways, he was in Ipahau camps. He was um, she's sending pictures. They had a snowstorm at the end of April. Oh man, not like a foot of snow. It's just crazy winter for them. But anyways, they're out of it now. The lakes are 
are thawed and the trees are green. So, which you know makes it makes a nice change, and and hopefully black fly season isn't too bad this year. And uh, you know, folks folks who aren't from is it ever good? Is it ever good, <laughs> James? <laughs> well, it can be worse. <laughs> I guess it's degrees of bad, I think. Um, yeah. oh. But they kind of, they tend to fight, you know, midsummer, the black flies are pretty much gone by midsummer. You know, yeah. In August, I, I like going up north in August because uh, the black flies are, are done. Yeah. So. Yeah. Just mosquitoes, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, and those are those are also horrific. But it, what what beautiful country I got to say. And I think one thing that I miss is is heading back home. And that's actually one of the things this year that we're kind of it's it's. I think there's a whole bunch of people who are wrestling with this. Is hey, you know what? Yeah, you might be able to travel, but there's going to be restrictions on all sides wherever you go. And how are those restrictions going to affect affect your movement? And I find it really interesting how people are dealing with that. And you know, do I head back to Canada what's you know am I going to do two weeks of quarantine when I get there and if I fly back here then I might have another two weeks we don't know what all those rules are yet what's that you know how does that affect the travel time and I think it's just starting to really set in on people who usually travel out of the UAE in these months yeah I think that and you know that I think that's the the big thing and hopefully that will evolve um, over time but it's a big consideration for people traveling to and from you know it's not it's not just getting on a plane, going there and back, and not not now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's complicated things. But you know, all, for all the right reasons. Oh yeah, um, yeah, for sure. You know, safety's first, and and that's what they're, they're they want to contain this thing and get the curve going the right way. So. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And so, so Lauren, are you are you a big fisherman as well? Do you do a lot of fishing yes, when sir. you? Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> I used to do more fishing here than I have recently, but I go home and I I, I go fishing and. Um, uh, you know, I have, um, I found um, near my hometown, I, I actually found a, uh, a lake that now you can access. You have to portage in because um, the, they don't stop the train there anymore. Anyways, Goldie Lake. So <laughs> okay. the last two years, I've been actually carrying a motor and doing a one-mile portage in. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Um, there's fish to be found. The harder it is to get to. Typically, the better the fishing is. Sorry, went on and on, but I love fishing. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I think yeah. I, I haven't really done much fishing here, but when I was in Canada, you know, when we go back, we try to get a little bit in if we can. But I haven't been doing a lot. And, you know, I would say in the last 20 years, we haven't really done a, a good fishing vacation or a good, you know, go out and do some canoeing and that kind of stuff. I have, I've really kind of fallen out of it, which is kind of sad, actually. Yeah, you know, it, for me, it, the fishing is just an excuse to get out, um, you know, on a lake in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And and that's the great thing about, uh, I think, northern Ontario. You can actually, when I go on some lakes, the only boat on the lake is the one I'm in. Yeah. You know, so you can be completely alone. It's so, you're with nature, and it's there's something very spiritual about it. And it's just a, a wonderful experience. I think I like that. And then coming back hopefully with some fish and having a fry up and uh, talking, you know, telling some lies and it's, it's good fun. <laughs> I, I, I always like the old idea and it's, it's, it's kind of pittered off a little bit in Northern Ontario where you could take the train and the train would stop in certain places yeah. so that you could get off and, yeah, and, yeah. and it comes back. So you, you know, you just organize for when you're going to come back and, and you're there by the track and it, it stops. They, but they, well, they don't. And, and my dad was a railroad. He was a railroad engineer. And uh, Shapla was a railway town. So 
uh, yeah, they had the Bud Car. I don't know if you ever heard of Bud Car. It was, uh, it was, I think they were manufactured in the 1950s. It's a small passenger train that yeah. roves through Northern Ontario in a small segment. Well, you basically, you know, um, can you let me off here and there? So the whole track was your fishing hole, so to speak, because anyway, those days are gone. Those days ago. Yeah, the, out west they used to have the, the same kind of thing. They call them rail liners, and it was just that one car that used to yeah, used to make yeah. the trips. And yeah. that was, you know, a whole piece of the culture that's kind of disappeared, which is which is kind of crazy. But the Canadian still runs, correct? Yeah. Coast to coast. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure. Something I'd love to do, I'd, I'd love to do that with my kids. I mean, now they're adults. I'd love to get on that train and just sort of, you know, take it across country. We once did it with my grandmother and we were coming from, we, so we were in, we were in Saskatchewan. When we got on in Regina and we, we took it all the way to Toronto. And I remember doing that years ago and it was, it was, it was pretty spectacular. It was, you know, as at the time I was a, a pretty young guy. So it was kind of like, what the heck are we doing? But uh, you know, in the middle of the night you get up and the train stopped and you know, maybe it's in Winnipeg or it's in Kenora and you're kind of looking out at stuff and it's a whole different subculture was, was living around the railways and the rail yards. And it was cool. Just yeah. really cool. Yeah. I grew up in a railway town. The trains were wonderful, and you can hear them um, working like for diesel engines. I remember being at a uh, a place 49 miles from Chapelot, remote, only camp on the lake, and you could hear the trains at night working up the hill 10 miles away. It was just the sound would kind of chug in and then disappear. Uh, just a magic to them, you know. They're just uh, special. Um, trains are special, just like airlines, you know, airplanes. They, yeah. You fall in love with these things. People have cars, motorcycles, and, you know, uh, trains and planes for me. You must have also been a snowmobile guy then, growing up in Chaplow with all the snow. You must have had a good sled. I never owned one. I always had to, I had to, you know, nick my friend's snowmobiles, you know. I borrowed those, but I, we never owned one, but they're a lot of fun. Yeah. They're a lot of fun. Yeah, no, for sure. That you know, not, nothing better than one of those to get you out on the ice for ice fishing, <laughs> which is a, a whole other, a whole other thing. Oh man, yeah, you know, just yeah. a lot of fun. So when when is when is the next Monks on the Moon gig gonna come out? I mean, you guys have done some stuff there. You got the new album out. You got your country stuff. Is there gonna be a crossover Monks? Lauren Riley? Uh, no, no, the monks. The monks sits in a in a in a different bucket, so to speak. It's a different genre altogether. So, like I said, we're pecking away at that yeah. um, as we can because I'm full on, I'm full on with country um, because I, I've, I've kind of set it up like a, it's kind of like running a small business, trying to, <laughs> you know, position yourself as a as a writer and yeah. except there's no revenue. That's the the big difference is the absence of revenue, but. Um, it keeps me very busy because there's not only writing and production and recording, but there's promotion and yeah. distribution. So it's been really a great experience because I kind of dabbled in it, you know, with uh, monks and with Rounds Fifty One. But this one's full on. Like I've got, um, I've got an advisor in Nashville. I have a radio promoter. I have wow. an online promoter, um, and I've got a virtual band and a producer. So it's, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it. Any spare time I have, I have to kind of prioritize it because I started out two and a half years ago with my goal was get one song yeah. on the radio, one station anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so I kind of, you know, I've had one, one song that uh, 
went number 93 on the Nashville Music Road Chart, and I've had two songs from across Canada, so I've, uh, I've passed those objectives, so I'm setting a new, uh, new ones every every day. Well, this this is, I want to, I just want to play a little bit of this one, because this is another one that catches my ears. This is a title track, 20 years. I love this one. And so you're saying you do all of this with a virtual band. Yeah. And we have some, yeah, we have a couple of local musicians and everyone else we pull in, pull in what you can from the, uh, the internet and uh, from studio musicians and what have you. I'm, and I'm listening to this. I, 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 I had to really pause and say, this is, this is Lauren. Nearly lost my mind. Main Street ain't quite the same as a walking. What a great tune, Lauren. I got to say, I think your calling is in country music. I really do. I'm hoping that's the case. It's definitely a, um, a lot of fun. You know, it's been a life changer. I really, really enjoy it. How, how's the reception been? As you said, you've got folks who are working at getting you on radio. How is how's that all going? It's going well. I went to Nashville um, in February and met with um, publishers. I met with a hit songwriter, a guy called James McNair, who's written for Luke Combs and, um, you know, had a tutorial with him. Um, met with three publishers because my goal is, you know, I'm I'm not going to, you know, be signed by a label. I'm not the right age and what have you. Numerous other reasons, but um, I so I'd like to, you know, eventually write songs to get sung by other people. Okay. Um, eventually, and just perform them as I can. You know, that's kind of the the post. Uh, you know, my retirement plan is to be a full time songwriter and, and musician. Um, so. I met with the uh, publishers, really instructional. You know, I learned, like I said, you never stop learning. But the one thing is, is contacts and network is everything in this business. Mm. And I was fortunate enough to have a gentleman here called Thomas, Thomas Overson. Who sure, yeah. runs promotion. Thomas. Yeah. I was nice enough to connect me uh, to a gentleman called Mark Mason, who um, used to be a chief publishing officer with BMI, so really connected in the industry. Um, and, uh, actually Thomas had to, he knows Taylor Swift's dad, believe it or not. Wow. And asked Taylor wow. Swift's dad say, I know this guy, he's, you know, he's got some talent, he's writing some songs. Uh, who can I connect him with in Nashville to help him, um, develop? And, uh, that's how I got connected and that's how it started. Um, but you actually have to have something that they want to listen to. Yeah. Uh, they, you're pretty discerning and no holds barred. And if you have something they don't like, they're not going to gloss it over. Now nah, that's crap. I don't like that. No, that's no good. Yeah. Wow. So, and you need a thick skin and you have to, you know, listen, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a, you know, in the U S this is, this is the genre country music is number one. I mean, this is what people listen to when you, you know, every, sure we listen to, you know, American top 40 and we listen to, you know, adult contemporary, but, you know, and you got your gospel and you got all that, you know, you got your religious radio, but country music still comes out right on top. There is just a huge appetite for it. It's absolutely massive. And I tell you what, Nashville, if you've never been, go. I've it's never been. Mecca for music. It's just wonderful town of music everywhere. And not only country dominated by country, but it's just, and the musicians that are just so good. Yeah. Uh, so talented. You know, one of the meetings I had with a publisher guy called Cheryl Blackman, he says, you know, um, so your stuff's good. He says, but there's a thousand guys like you and they're here. 
So for you to break through, you're going to have to do something really special. So um, give me some good advice, but it, you know, it's reality check, but just keep trying. Yeah. Uh, you, a few weeks ago, you published uh, a photo up on Instagram. You got your guitar back. You were, you had it in getting, getting uh, refurbed and, and stuff. Tell me about this guitar. It looked pretty awesome. And where, where are you getting it oh, fixed now? Here we go. It's a George Harrison Telly. Wow. Um, and it's it's made of solid rosewood, and it's uh, hand-produced, uh, limited production every year. It's just a beauty guitar. What? Um, and uh, you have to take care of you have to take care of your guitars. And I'm not a great guitarist. I, I'm not. Um, but I love guitars. <laughs> um, and it's a beauty. It's my pride and joy. My wife, Elle, got me that one uh, for Christmas. Just like the best gift ever. Oh um, and I have about I have about I have about six guitars and four of them here. And all, all are you playing a little bit of electric, a little bit of acoustic? Oh, I lost you, James. Sorry. Oh, are you? Uh, can you hear me now? Are we back? Uh, I'm a little broken up, but I'm catching you. Yeah. Are you uh, all all electric, or are you also doing acoustic? Uh, sorry, I got acoustic out of that. I do have. Uh, I'm an electric guy, but I bought. Uh, my first, well, not my first acoustic. I bought an acoustic when I was in Nashville. I figured I'd uh, treat myself, and that's my Nashville guitar now. So it's a tailor. It's a beauty. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I picked that up in February. So I'm playing more acoustic now. And I used to, you know, love my electrics. Wow, pretty awesome. Tying it all back, can you still hear me, Lauren? Are you, am I still coming in okay, or am I, is the uh, the hearing dying for you? I'm so sorry, uh, David. You've completely broken up. I don't know if it's my signal or not. Oh man, this is this is not. Let me just check my side here too. And this is always the danger of uh, what we're playing around with using our, our our technology here. Can you? Are you still hearing me at all, Lauren? Or am I am I dying? I'm you. You've been broken up, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting what you're saying. So I want to I want to tie it right back to the very beginning. And yes. when we talk about your music career, when we talk about your vocation as a communication guy, it's especially the music career. Does does going back and studying journalism? Do you find that that is that has helped inform your ability to make this all work? Yeah, absolutely. Journalism was the best. And I remember going to my high school counselor. You know, when you're in grade twelve to grade thirteen, you know, where are you going to go to school? And I remember. Um, uh, talking to him and he says uh what do you want to do i said i don't know um so he says oh what do you like i said i like writing and so and i'm interested in the law so oh here you go carlton university journalism minor in law so that was the depth of my decision making but i tell you what you learn how to uh edit video you learn how to you know cut tape and record interviews and structure your thought and you know the the the, invert, the pyramid you learn how to bring the important things out first so as a songwriter now, without journalism, I I don't know if I'd be writing songs. It's wow. really, it's it's a great um, uh, trade craft and trade to learn, you know. And a bit of a, a bit of a lost art. I'm so sorry, James. I have a meeting that I apparently have to join. Okay. Um, it's been an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with me. Um, always good to talk. Lauren, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Have a great All one. Right, man. Thank you, man. Great pleasure. Take care. Yeah, for sure. Bye. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>
Oh, man, there we go. That was a conversation with Lorne Riley. 30 years of corporate reputation management. He's currently working as director of communication over at Dubai Airport, Air Canada, Star Lines, IATA. He's an accomplished musician. He very much understates his abilities, but he's fantastic. Go find him on Spotify. Monks on the Moon is another group that he, he works with. Him and Alex Blake Milton, they're doing some great stuff as well. Totally different genre than his country. But you know what? What a great guy. What a great guy. That's all I've got to say. Lauren Riley, James Pikeway, we were catching up. Want to find out more about what we do? Potaholics is where you can search www.potaholics.com at Potaholics with a K across all of the socials. And of course, Potaholics with a K at gmail.com. If you want to drop us an email, this has been Catching Up and we'll be back at you very, very soon.